Good evening. Man, I've wished a million times I had that kind of control when I was raising kids. You know, you step up, say something, everybody goes, hush. It's good to see you all this evening. I've missed being in here the last two weeks, but I heard Grant knocked it out of the park. And so I was so grateful for him. Make sure that when you see him, you tell him how much you appreciated that. Uh, that is his wheelhouse. He's excellent at that. But I was in Texas for a couple of weeks. Uh, I went to a conference for about four or five days and then drove out to West Texas and saw people we hadn't seen for 30 years. So it was kind of a nice time to be away, but I'm glad to be back. We're going to be spending the next six weeks talking about marriage. And yes, there's at least six weeks of stuff to talk about. Uh, you may not think there is, but there really is. So we're going to be doing that for the next six weeks, but I want to get a lay of the land. How many in this room have been married at least five years? Show of hands. At least five years. Okay. At, pardon? Which time? I'm going to leave that up to you, all right? I'm just going to leave that up to you. How many have been married at least 10 years? All right, still got a good pack going. How about 20 years, at least 20 years? Okay. 30? That's yeah, thinning out a little, but we still got them. How about at least 40 years? Put together. <laughs> put the, no, not put together, Norm, not put together. All right, I'm going to have to drop my hand on this one. How many at least 50 years? 50, yeah, absolutely. 55? Ah. 6, 56? We got a runoff going here. 57? Ah, you got the prize. I wish I had a prize to give you. And I, pardon? No, not happily married, just married. What's that? That's your prize right there. As is. You can't return it, right? <laughs> Let me ask you, no matter how long you've been married, what is it about marriage that surprised you the most? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Someone else, what surprised you the most about marriage? You don't always feel in love. Absolutely. I wish somebody had told me that before I started all of this. Someone else, what surprised you the most? Every day is a new challenge. Every day is a new challenge. Or a new reward. Or a new reward. My parents used to tell me that I woke up in a new world every day. That's kind of how marriage is, isn't it? It just feels that way. Someone else, what surprised you the most? Yes. Me? How he puts up with me. <laughs> How he puts up with you? Huh. You're going to take the hit right off the bat, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, somebody said, my wife and I have been married 42 years, and somebody asked us how we did that, and I said it's a tribute to her perseverance. That's all it is. All right? Anybody else? Something that surprised you about marriage? Yes? How much of a give and take it is. How much of a give and take it is. And sometimes it's not give and take, it's give, give and take, right? 
You know, somebody used to say marriage should be 50-50. Actually, marriage should be like 120 and 120. And uh, so these are good. I, I really love the how much work it's going to be, how much you have to give and take, that you won't always feel in love. All of those things are awesome. They're excellent. One of the things that I hear often in my office, I hear this a lot, that people are surprised that marriage is, as, and you said it, is as much work as it takes. We just don't think that when we get started. When we get started into marriage, when we go into marriage, we think it's going to be like this. Right? Yeah, some of you are already laughing and joking, right? We think it's going to be like that. It's going to be lots of romance and we're going to get together. We're going to go through our old years and we're going to dance together. And we think it's going to be like that. But no one tells us that oftentimes it's going to be like this. <laughs> right? It just is. We, you know, sometimes it's that way. Uh, one of the biggest headbuttings that goes on in my house and my marriage, and I may have told you this before, I'm an ice cruncher, okay? I'm the guy that drinks the drink and then crunches the ice after the drink is gone. And my wife cannot stand that. After 42 years, if I slip up and start crunching on ice, I can hear her stomping from the back of the house. I'm trying to stuff it somewhere like I'm innocent, you know? It, and no one's a prepared me for that. So tonight, we want to talk off, kick off this series about how to live not just with your spouse, but for your spouse. And we're going to do six weeks of this. And uh, years ago, I taught this here, years and years and years ago, because I've been here over 27 years, so it's been a long time. But we did it in 12 weeks. And so for the first six weeks, only husbands were allowed in the class. And for the last six weeks, only wives were allowed in the class. So this is going to be a little dicey here, but we're going to jam these together and do husband and wife on each night for six nights. Uh, so let's start with what this series is not. This is the series, Here's What It's Not. First of all, this series is not to make your marriage everything you want it to be. If you haven't figured it out by now, your marriage will never be everything you want it to be. That's not how marriage works. Uh, there will always be difficulties. There will always be problems. Uh, it, it's always, it's just not going to be everything you want it to be. That's okay. It's not supposed to be. The, the difficulties, the struggles, they're supposed to be there. They're, they're not only normal, they're necessary. You will not grow and you will not become the people you need to be, let alone the couple you need to be, if everything is the way you want it to be. So, that's how you learn to grow and care for one another. Also, this class is not intended to make you feel like you should be someone else. God made you, you. Look at this passage from Ephesians. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The interesting thing about this is when it says we are his workmanship, the word for workmanship means poem or work of art. You are God's Mona Lisa. Don't go scribbling on the Mona Lisa. You are who you are by design. So this class is not intended to make you wish you were somebody else. 
Now, just because we are who we are by design, that doesn't mean we get a pass on everything. It doesn't. Look at this passage from 1 Corinthians. All things are lawful for me. My personality, my God-given personality and traits, it's, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And that includes my personality traits. I can tell you right now, you will get no points whatsoever in your marriage by saying, well, this is just the way I am. You're going to have to learn to live with it. Not only will you not get points, you'll get a night or two in the doghouse if you do that. Because, yes, God has made me a certain way, but there are still things about me that need to be tweaked and changed and modified to fit. That's why marriage is designed the way it is. So, so we're not trying to change you into something or someone else. But there are things about you you're going to need to tweak. Also, this class is not intended to beat you up for your shortcomings. It's not intended to do that. We all have shortcomings. We all have mistakes. I told somebody the reason I can teach this stuff is because I've made most of the mistakes. You know, I have a scar right here. No, I'm just teasing. We're not here to beat up on your shortcomings because we all have those. Thankfully, God sent Christ so we didn't have to stay in accused mode. We didn't have to stay in guilt mode. Now, we have to, like I said, we have to tweak things about ourselves. We have to learn. We have to change. We have to grow. But it's not here to beat you up. A long time ago, the marriage counselor stopped reading the marriage books because every time I read a new marriage book, I just felt like I was screwing up all the more. You know, I, I was just guilty because I couldn't measure up to the books. That's not what this series is about. This class and God himself is about your good and your growth, and that's what we want to do here. One more thing that this series is not intended to do, and that is to, be, uh, excuse me, to make you feel bad about your marriage. Make you feel bad about your marriage. As long as you compare your marriage to others, you will always be unhappy. Just telling you, comparison is the enemy of happy. You will never measure up to other couples because you're not other couples. You're different. Both of you are different from them. So your marriage is not supposed to be like somebody else's. It's supposed to be the best marriage you can make. You're supposed to take what you have and make the most of it. You know, I run into couples and... They just have no trouble with conflict. Okay? Sometimes it's because they avoid it and don't do it. Right? But they have no, other couples have trouble with conflict. doesn't mean one's right and one's wrong. It just means they're different. And so these are the things that this series is not intended to do. Uh, the purpose of this series is to give you six very practical principles that you can plug in that will make your marriage or any other marriage good, both for the husband and for the wife. But we can't do this without banning three statements. There's three responses you're going to be tempted to have that we have to ban. And here's the first one. I can't because fill in the blank. I can't because fill... It's easy to listen to things 
at a conference like this or a seminar or a series like this and say, well, that's all well and good, but I can't because you got to strike that from your vocab. Listen to what Scripture says. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that means living with, living for, putting up with, adjusting to your spouse. I mean, God knew what he was doing when he gave you that spouse. So you can do this. Listen to 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power is granted as all things that pertain to life and godliness. So, you and I have to throw out this response that says, well, yeah, that's well and good, but I can't because. As believers, we've been given spiritual fruit, spiritual gifts, spiritual armor. We've been given everything we need. So you cannot use that phrase, right? Or you can, but it's going to get you in trouble. Here's the third, second response that we have to ban. But you don't know my spouse. And you're right, I don't know your spouse. But... God knows your spouse, and God knows you. And God would have you work on you, not your spouse. I know that's hard to swallow, but God would have you work on you and not your spouse. Listen to Jesus. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In marriage, your biggest responsibility is to work on you, yourself, and allowing that and allowing God to make the changes in your spouse. And, and I'll just tell you this, when there's something going on in a marriage, it is never just one person. I'm not saying it's always 50-50. It may be 80-20. But both people are throwing in ingredients into that pot. And so you have to, if, if yours is just 20%, you have to work on your 20%. They have to work on their 80. And you'll get a lot further by doing that. We'll explain that here in a minute. Uh, in marriage, that's your responsibility. Here's what happens so often in marriage. We have this linear view of marriage. I'll hear a husband say, well, the only reason I do that is because she does this. And the wife will say, well, but the only reason I do that is because you do this. And, and so that's a linear view of, of things. And you notice those parallel lines, they never meet. If you keep following that track, they'll never meet. But that's not how the dynamic works in marriage. The dynamic work, works in marriage like this. Somebody does something that causes somebody else to react, which in turn causes them to do something which causes them to... It's a circle. And the difference with this model than the first one is anybody at any point that changes anything in that circle will change the whole circle. It's a circular logic. So, let's say my wife is the 80% culprit. And usually it's the other way around. But let's just say she is, all right? If I change my 20%, it's going to change her 80%. But the quickest way I get to that is not by forcing her to change her 80%. It's by me changing my 20. That's the circular logic in all this. So you can't go, yeah, but you don't know my spouse. I don't have to know your spouse. You know you. And you have to work on you. 
One more response that we need to ban. This is all preliminary. We'll get down to the nitty-gritty here in a minute. One more response we need to ban. See, I told you. During this series, it's going to be tempting for you to hear something as a confirmation and say, see, I told you. Do not do that. Don't do that. That will not get you anywhere except in trouble. You know, I told you originally that I had split up the husbands in six weeks and the wives in six weeks. You know why I did that? That's why I did that. That's exactly why I did that. And you know, I found this is a sidetrack here. Didn't plan to say this, but this is a sidetrack. You know what I found out that was very interesting? Before the six-week class with the husbands and before the six-week class with the men, I gave this speech. I don't want you to come in here and rag on your spouse. I don't want you to come in here complaining about them. I don't want you to, to do the I told you so. You just don't know that. I said, we don't want to do any of that. We're just going to work on us in this room. And you know who couldn't do that? Wives. Surprised the hound out of me. I figured the guys would be the ones complaining, but it was the wives. So I'm putting you on your honor system. All right? This is your honor system. Do not say to your wife, see, I told you so. Do not say to your husband, see, I told you so. That'll just make matters worse. It'll make you more dissatisfied with one another. It'll keep you from focusing on what you need to do. This series is not to be used as a club to beat up on your spouse for what they are or aren't doing. I cannot say that enough. Don't do that. Sometimes when I'm doing marriage counseling, I, and, I do, and I don't like to do this, I like to work with couples, but sometimes I have to split them apart for this reason. All right, so I'm just, I'm warning you ahead of time, just don't do that. I'm holding you on the honor system here. Remember, pray for them, work on you. Pray for them, but work on you. All right, that's the preliminaries. Any questions, any comments, fears, concerns? Complaints? <laughs> All right, here's what we're going to do. Tonight we're going to start with husbands. And then we'll shift to wives. And then next week we'll start with wives and shift to husbands. Just trying to be fair about this. So, husbands, you're up. What's the toughest thing about being a husband? And yes, I know you're sitting in close proximity, some of you, but... What's the toughest thing about being a husband? Discipline in a blended marriage. Say it again. Discipline in a blended marriage. Discipline in a blended marriage. Yes. You know, when I'm doing premarital with people that are getting remarried, we talk about discipline a lot and who gets to do what and when. That's a tough thing about. But that's more about being a dad. Let's talk about the difficult things about being a husband because we get our kids mixed in with stuff too often. Let's just talk about being a husband. Yes? Different priorities. priorities. You have those in your house too, huh? Yeah. Different priorities. Something else that's difficult about being a husband. Balancing time. time. That that whole work-family balance thing. Which, and, and by the way, I don't think it's 50-50 work-life ba- work balance. 
Sometimes it's 60-40, sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes it's 80 and 20. You just have to make sure that the average is coming out well. Uh, that may get me in trouble right there. Somebody else, what's the most difficult thing about being a husband? Yes? Communicating. Because we do it so differently, don't we? Yes, we just have different ideas about it. We are going to get into that in a future week, so just buckle up. All right. Somebody else, the difficult thing about being a husband? Say it again. Not knowing what my wife is thinking. Absolutely. Um, I have a plaque. Let's go see if I had it here. I don't have it on the screen. I have a plaque in my office, or actually in our hallway going to my office. It says this. No man is truly married until he understands every word his wife is not saying. Really, found this in an antique shop in Asheville. I said, i got to have that. And my wife said, yes, you do. Uh, communicating, trying to understand what the other one is saying. And, and how many of you have been through this routine? Are you upset? No, I'm fine. That's a problem right there. All right, All right somebody else. Something else difficult about being a husband. Some of you have not weighed in, and I know you have opinions. Well, thanks for clarifying that, Judy. <laughs> Having the sole responsibility for the family. And even if, if husbands and wives are sharing that kind of equally with work and, and we husbands, we still feel like we have the sole responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, those are some. And there's others. There's other things that are difficult about that. So... Here is the first principle. We're going, to, we're going to do one principle for husbands, one principle for wives. Here's the first principle for husbands. If you're going to live, not just with your spouse, but for your spouse, then you have to lead like the king. Notice I didn't say lead like a king. When you lead like a king, everything's about you. And it's about what you want. And it's about making sure that people serve you. And you get things the way you want. That's how, that's the way people live like a king. I'm talking about leading like the king. Years and years ago, because uh, I lose track of time really easy, but it's been many, many years ago, I was having a discipleship breakfast with a man. And we've been doing this for some time. And for a month or more, he would come in every week and he would complain because his wife would not follow his spiritual leadership. And, and I'm just listening, you know, trying to do the counselor thing, and not saying a whole lot. And week after week, he would complain, my wife will just not follow my spiritual leadership. Finally, one day, I said, you know what, guy, I don't, I don't think I can help you. And he said, well, why not? I said, because I don't have that problem. He said, oh, come on. I said, no, really, I don't have that problem in my house. And he said, well, then how do you manage that? I said, you know, it's really kind of easy. I just try to do my best to give her what she wants and meet her needs and be there and as much as I can try to put her up on a pedestal. And you know what? I have, she'll follow my lead anywhere. And he didn't like that answer, you know. And... Uh, 
And that was about the end of that topic of discussion we had. Uh, but that's what it means to live like the king. Scripture gives us what that means, guys. Scripture does not just tell us do something and then doesn't tell us how to do this. So, when you look at Ephesians 5.25, you get an idea of what it means to live, to lead like the king. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's two things in that passage of Scripture for us husbands to lead like the king. And the first is we're told to love. We're told to love. Uh, notice it doesn't say husbands lead your wives. It doesn't say that. It says husbands love your wives. You know why? Because that's the hardest thing for us. We can lead well. That's what we do every day at work. We know how to lead. We know how to take responsibility. We know how to take charge. We can lead. What comes foreign for us is loving. We're, not, we're really good at providing. We're good at taking care of things. We're not always as good at loving. And that's why God says, husbands, love your wives. You know, when wives ask a husband, do you love me? The first thing that goes through our mind is, what, do you really even have to ask? Look what I do. Look at the income I bring in. Look at the home you live in. Look at the car you drive. Look where the kids go to school. I mean, we don't say it out loud because we're smarter than that. But that's what we think. Right? We don't look smarter than that. But we are smarter than that. And, and, but that's not what the wife wants to know. She's not listening for those things. We give those things because they're important to us. Not because they're important to them. Leadership is not a given. Leadership is given. Leadership is not a given with our wives. Leadership is given by our wives when we're loving them well. So, if it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, how do we love them? Well, fortunately, it goes on and tells us in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So, guys, what are some of the things you do for yourself? And the room went silent. Because you never do anything for yourself, right? No, come on, guys. What are some of the things you do for yourself? Recreate. Recreate. Absolutely. We get away occasionally. We get some exercise. We get out with friends. We do some of that occasionally. What else? Take a nap. Take a nap. Absolutely. One of my favorite activities. You take a nap. What else do you do for yourself? I've been prompted to say I watch a lot of college football. You've been prompted to say you watch a lot of college football. <laughs> Is she right? Depends on your definition of a lot. <laughs> Depends on the definition of a lot, yeah. yeah. So, something that interests you. You partake in things that interest you. What else? Do you get the idea? Look at this list. Here's what we do. 
We feed ourselves. I spent the last two weeks in Texas, and man, I fed myself. I had Texas barbecue. I had Tex, real Tex-Mex. We just, yes, we feed ourselves. We care for ourselves. Sometimes that self-care is going and playing golf or getting out and doing some recreation, watching something we enjoy. We learn to take care of ourselves. We protect ourselves. We, we are always watching out to protect ourselves. We meet our wants and needs. We're good at that. We dress ourselves up, not always the way our lives would want us to, but we dress ourselves up, right? So how does this apply to marriage? Because it says, husbands, we are to love our wives the way we love our own bodies, the way we take care of ourselves. So give me some examples. How does this apply? I'm just going to wait, okay? I've learned to ask my wife and my daughters how to dress before I walk, leave, leave the house. I don't wear black socks and brown pants and green shirts and stuff like that. So you turn to your wife and daughters for attire approval, right? Do I look okay to go out? Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. Yes? <laughs> Some men just cannot dress themselves, are they? And that's a good point. If your spouse says, you're not going to wear that out, are you? The answer is no, okay? Just right off the bat. Just no. I was just seeing if it fit. I was not going to wear it out. That's the answer. How else does this apply? Yeah, take yourself off and put her there. You know, my wife and I used to get into a fight uh, every Saturday morning. Now, I'm a marriage counselor. I've got my master's in this. I'm supposed to understand this, but it took me a while. I'm a slow learner. It took me a while to figure this out. But here's what was happening. Friday would come, and I'm thinking, it's the weekend I'm sleeping late, going to watch a few cartoons. I may go browse at Best Buy or the Apple Store. Uh, it's going to be a great day. And my wife is thinking on Friday, it's the weekend. We can clean out that shed. We can get the garage cleared out. We can point, plant those things we're going to be. But the problem was neither of us were talking about our expectations, right? And so when Saturday came, it was like a train wreck. It really was. And uh, we'll talk about how we figured those things out in another session. But if I had just said, you know what? I know she wants these things done. I'm going to take the weekend and do it. That's part of what you're talking about, putting herself out there. Anyone else? Saturday, yes? Saturdays in our house, scrambled eggs, bacon and eggs. A little scrambled eggs with chives and cheese and bacon and stuff like that in it. And she likes fried eggs. <laughs> <laughs> That's similar to, does the toilet paper go over the roll or under the roll? Do you like fried eggs or scrambled eggs? Yeah. No, most of the time it's fried eggs because that's what she likes. I'll get better doing the dippy eggs. Sometimes it's just easier that way, isn't it? That's exactly what this means, is the way you take care of yourself, make sure they're taking care of themselves. When your spouse says, I want to go out with the girls, and that means that you're going to have to watch children or do, do it. 
I'm just telling you, get mileage out of that. Although, if you have little children, wives are often kind of skittish about leaving the children with you. Uh, and I never understood that. And my wife said, you know, my, my girlfriends wanted me to go out, and I just don't. I said, go, go, go. Yeah, but you've got the kid here. and I'm, I'm an adult. I'm a dad. I can do this. I'm responsible at work. I can be responsible here. And so she kind of went, okay. But she was not looking forward to it. And so she goes, and uh, I realized at some point in the evening, I had become so engrossed in TV, I didn't know where the child was. And so, like a good responsible dad, I get up and walk down the hall to find my daughter had climbed in the bathroom, climbed up on the commode, got up in the sink, and left me a present. <laughs> and it was not one you could wash down the sink. And I said to myself, this is what she's talking about right there. Right? So, let them go out. Be responsible, but let them go out. Anything you would do for you, make sure they're doing something for them. This is how this applies. Now, I told you there was two things in that passage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The first was love. The second thing we're called to do is to let go. To let go. And this is just as hard for husbands as loving is for husbands. It's not that we don't want to love you. It's not that we don't want to let go of things. But we just have problems with that. Why do you think it's so hard for husbands to let go of stuff? Because we're supposed to be large and in charge, right? Because we're supposed to be large and in charge. Someone else. Why is it hard for us to let go of stuff? Pardon? Loss of control. Loss of control. We like control. Can you think of any other reason? Look at these. We have this fear of losing our position, losing our leadership. If I let go of this call and let my wife make it, does that mean I'm still in charge? I worry about that. Shouldn't, but I do. Fear of losing our stuff. I remember after we got, my wife got pregnant with our first child, and she said, you got to get rid of your car. What do you mean i got to get rid of my car? Well, it's a two-seater pickup truck. It's got bucket seats. Where's the car seat going? And I went, oh, yeah. Hmm. And even before that, I remember the first time after I got married, my because I'd had this truck. I, this is the first new vehicle I bought, and I bought it a few years before we got married. And I remember the first time she referred to it as our truck. And I went, what? It's my truck. It's hard for us to let go of stuff. It just is. We're afraid of losing our time. If I do X, Y, and Z for you, I might not get to do what I want to do. We lose our time. We're afraid of losing ourselves. That's what the old henpeck joke is about. Husbands are afraid of losing themselves. And, and we don't have time to get into this, but if you go back to Genesis after the fall, there is this division that's, that falls into play between husbands and wives. 
And, and it even says, wives, your desire will be for him, but he will rule over you. That, that plays out every single day. So it makes sense that if we're going to have to let go, we're going to lose something. And we don't like losing. But listen to this. God's economy is different than ours. Listen to Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as heaven is higher as the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Just because it feels like we're losing doesn't mean we are. For the sake of time, I want to rush. I'm just going to give you these scriptures. Write down the reference if you want to. We don't have time to read them. Uh, but here's what Jesus says about letting go. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will save it. Matthew 16, 25. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. Jesus says, you know, that the Gentiles rule over you, but you've got to be different. You have to be different. You've got to be servant. If you want to be a leader, you be the servant. You want to be the first, be the last. And then John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus talks a lot about letting go. And he tells husbands, love your wives and give yourself up. Let go. Jesus showed it. Jesus didn't just tell us to do that. He showed us this by example. We won't read it, but Philippians 2, 3 through 8. This is Jesus' example of what he did for his bride. And guys, that's what we're called to. These are the foundations for living with your spouse and not just living with your spouse, but living for your spouse. You love them as your own body and you let go of things for their sake. All right? Questions, comments on that? Mm-hmm. My garage had hundreds of tools in that I could have told you where any single one of them was. My wife has a different idea about where things belong. Right. And as you get older and you start losing your capacity to remember, it's very disconcerting when the things are moved around. <laughs> True. If, if you're kind of a little bit of obsessive and you like things in a certain place, it can be very disconcerting to, to let go of the, the need to have them in that place. But be careful about saying, you know, Jesus, I really can't do what you're asking me to do here because of my memory. That's not going to fly. You still have to let things go. You have to trust him with it. All right, we're going to move on to wives. Otherwise, you get off scot-free and that just would not be fair, right? So, wives. What's the toughest thing for you about being a wife? Not a mom, but a wife. What's the hardest things? What? The more, the more vocal of the sexes is not speaking up? Please. Yes? The three-letter word. The three-letter word. <laughs> the thing that makes you have kids. Sex is what you're trying to say. That word, right. That's one of the most difficult things about wives. We're actually going to talk about that in one of these sessions. So, 
No. Did somebody say no? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, always be, want to be right. I mean, always wanting to be right. Yeah, I'm going to change that narrative, right? The desire to always be right. And, and yes, that, that happens with both husbands and wives. But I'm just going to tell you, it's a little more prominent with wives. Someone else. The difficult thing about being a wife. Here's your chance. Compromise. Compromise. Who said that? Yes, compromise. Because somebody's got to be right. It might as well be you, right? You know? Compromise. It's hard. Compromise sounds like a four-letter word or a three-letter word. Somebody else? Letting go of the small stuff. Letting go of the small stuff. Exactly. Some hills are not big enough to die on. I always tell couples, marriage is a lot like playing baseball. The key to baseball is figuring out which, which pitches to let go by and which ones to swing at. And if you swing at every pitch, you're going to strike out. So figuring out what to let go. It's a good one. Somebody else, wives. Putting your husband over your children. Amen. You get, if I had a gold star, you'd get it right now. Putting, putting your husband over your children. It's one of my biggest soapboxes in counseling. Your, par- your partnering always has to be above your parenting. If your partnering is above your parenting, you'll be good parents. But if your parenting is above your partnering, you will not be a good partners. So you have to keep them in line like that. I remember I would come home from work when our kids were little, and they would try to squeeze in between our legs. You know, I'd come in and grab my wife, and we'd hug, and we'd talk, and they would get in between my legs. And, and I would make them go in the other room. In the other room. I'll get to you in a minute. And so I thought, well, when these kids get to be teenagers, we won't have to worry about that anymore. Anyway. No, no. It was still the same game, only instead of getting in between my legs, it was now when I came in and gave my wife a hug, it was, Dad, can I have the keys of the car? I need 30 bucks. Can you take me here? Can you do? And I'd do the same thing. In the other room, wait your turn. And finally, they got so angry, they said, why do you do that? And I said, because you're short timers in my house. You're renting and you're not even paying rent. Your mom was here before you were here. She'll be here after you're here. You can wait your turn. You know why I did that? Sounds kind of harsh, but I did that because I want them to do the same thing with their kids. Partnering has to come ahead of parenting. Anyone else? Ah. And that bothers me, but when you raise our children, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Right. So this particular time, he had hurt my feelings, which he had, he had a lot of it. So I go out and the other room, and just sit there for a few minutes, so I come back, and he was sitting in his desk, so I put my arms around him in front of him, and I just told him, I said, I'm sorry, you hurt my feelings. <laughs> right. If it wasn't going to be him, you were going to do it for Jesse, you're thankful. you should be thankful that she didn't come in, put her arms around your neck, and squeeze really hard, right? 
So, yeah, sometimes because wives are tend to be, it's, there's some exceptions to this rule, but because wives tend to be a little more emotionally attuned, uh, you're more sensitive to the relational dynamics than husbands are. And so when, husband, when we as a husband have hurt your feelings, oftentimes we don't get it. We should. We're a little Neanderthal in that way. We should get it, but we don't. And so living with someone who may not be as, as relationally, emotionally tuned as you are, that's a difficult thing. All right, we need to move on. I love this. I would like to do this all night, but we got to move on. Husbands are supposed to lead like the king. Wives are supposed to submit like a queen. Now, let's just be honest for a minute. What's your first thoughts and reactions when you hear the word submit, ladies? Say it out loud. Do what they say. What else do you hear when you hear the word submit? What else do you feel? Hmm? Like a servant. A lesser than. Yeah. Someone else? Lack of control. Thank you. That's very much what you hear and feel what it feels like. Anyone else? Don't want to be a doormat. Exactly. Now we're getting somewhere. Anyone else want to add to that? You know, just because you think it and don't say it doesn't mean that God doesn't know it. So you might as well say it anyway, right? <laughs> you know? Just come clean. Anyone else want to add to that? What do you think and feel when you hear doormat, or when you hear submission? Hmm. Say it one more time. Say it loudly. Okay. So submission can be like living under the umbrella. Okay. Uh, a lot of times the idea of submitting to your husband is difficult. And here are some of the reasons why. You've hit upon some of them. There's mistrust. I mean, maybe he hasn't proven himself worth submitting to, right? There could be some mistrust. Past hurts. If you were in a relationship or in a marriage where your husband hurt you, abused you, was just bad for you, then the idea of submitting is going to be unpalatable. Control issues. We've talked about those. Some wives are just competitive. Some husbands are competitive too, probably more often than wives. But that kind of competitive nature can make that a problem. Stubbornness, there's, you could add to that list. But oftentimes the reasons for submission, and I'm going to tread lightly here because I'm going to get myself in trouble if I'm not careful, are three. They all kind of boil down to three issues. First, pride. Pride can be an issue when it comes to submission. Because if you feel like submission means you're a second-class citizen or somehow lower than them, then your pride's going to kick in and push back against that. Pride causes us to struggle with love. You know, let's go back to the verses we talked about with husbands. It's the same applies here. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind that was in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And you can go ahead and read the rest of it. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Uh, we're not talking here, 
and I, I'm going to make this clear, we're not talking about where there's abuse involved. We're going to get to that in just a minute because I have to cover that. But don't let pride ruin your idea of submission. Protection can be an issue in terms of pushing back against pride, uh, pushing back against submission. Some wives have been hurt. They've been hurt by men. They've been hurt by husbands in the past. So they have trouble with this idea of sub submission. It makes them feel unsafe. And, and their sense of protection causes them to struggle, even with their faith. Now, without a question, if you're in a marriage relationship that is abusive, you must protect yourself. I will not back off that statement. You must protect yourself by whatever means necessary. We'll get to that in a minute. And believe it or not, I think the stats say that one in four women are living in a relationship that could be defined as abusive. So... The stats are here. We're not talking about this instance, though, if there's abuse. Um, but when, as a wife, you have a husband who loves you, who's never been abusive to you, and you still find yourself struggling with submission because you fear being vulnerable, you fear being unprotected, then you're struggling with something else. You're struggling with something other than your spouse. Maybe it's some past issues, maybe it's some past memories. But that's something different. So there's pride, there's protection, and then there's pessimism. Finally, you know, some wives struggle against submission because they're just pessimistic. You know, they believe situations are always going to go bad. People are bound to let them down, even husbands. They're always on their guard. Whatever the reason that's causing the pessimism, whether it's an upbringing or a trauma from the past or whatever, they feel like things are going to go south. And so they pass on submission because they'd rather stay in control to protect themselves. And it all winds up being a struggle with hope. So, having said all that, we need to define submission because there's all kinds of weird ideas about submission out there. Submission is not about being mindless. It's not about being speechless. It's not about being helpless. It's not about being less than. Remember, as a wife, you're an integral part of, of creation. It says, male and female created he them. It says in Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. And the wife said, Amen. Right? We can't be left to ourselves. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. You are an integral part of this combination. So that's not what submission means. Here's what submission means. Submission is about being an equal partner who's willing to let go of some personal rights when helpful, when needful, and when safe in order to demonstrate trusting loyalty to Christ and to their spouse. That's submission. That's completely different than what our knee-jerk is when we hear the word submission. Now, I told you I was going to get to this, and I've got to get to this. Let's talk about regarding abuse and abuse histories. This is one of the things I do most frequently in my counseling work, is work with ladies who have been sexually abused and had traumas in their lives. I've got to deal with this. Matter of fact, I had several workshops in Dallas, Texas on this about two weeks ago. Uh, it is prevalent in our country, so we have to talk about this. If you're someone who has a history of abuse in your past or you're in an abusive relationship right now, we are not suggesting 
that you should quickly or easily get over your past abuse, and we're not suggesting that you continue to submit yourself to any current abuse. And abuse is not just physical. You don't have to have just marks. Abuse is when someone is manipulative and controlling, and they use their words, and they use their anger or their feelings. Or Here's a definition. Abuse is the attempt of an individual or a group to impose its will on others through nonverbal, verbal, and physical means to, that inflicts psychological and physical injuries. It's a power differential. When your free will is no longer in play, that's not a relationship. That's abuse. And so we are not talking about those things. And that's why some women have such trouble with pride and with protection and pessimism because abuse touches all of those. So, for those who have been abused in the past, you, the need for protection, the need for uh, the pessimism about life, it all will make submission hard, even to a great husband. And in those cases, traumas of the past must be understood. You've got to heal them or you can't feel safe with submission, even with a loving spouse. If you have abuse in your history, I urge you to go see someone, talk to someone who's trained in trauma, and do something, because it will mess your marriage up. I hear this every single day. Now, if you're currently being abused, despite all the rationale and reasoning that your abuser will give you, and they will give you all kinds of reasons, it'll be your fault. I wouldn't do this if you hadn't done that. Despite all of that, abuse is never right. It's never your fault. And it should never be tolerated. Period. End of sentence. Remember that doing the loving thing is not always the thing that feels best for you or for the other person. You know that. If you raise kids, you do things that your kids don't like and you don't like to have to do. But it's the loving thing to do. So if you really love your spouse and they're being abusive, you must do what you have to to end that abuse. Or neither of you will ever get better. All right. So, having said all of that, let's get back. If you do not have any abuse in your history, if your spouse is not abusive, how do you go about this submission thing? Starts with releasing. Starts with releasing. You need to release past hurts. This may require forgiveness. Listen to Colossians. Bearing with one another... And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Releasing requires forgiveness. I am not talking about sloppy forgiveness. Sloppy forgiveness is forgiveness that's given too quick. Sloppy forgiveness is forgiveness that says you've forgiven and you haven't. Sloppy forgiveness says there are no boundaries. That's not the forgiveness I'm talking about. Forgiveness takes time. It, forgiveness is, how do I want to put this? Um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to, to phrase this. Forgiveness is a decision to release them from paying you what they owe you. But then it's an ongoing process. Sloppy forgiveness says, well, God says forgive. I've decided to forgive them. I forgive them. I'm done. 
No, that's sloppy forgiveness. Because forgiveness starts with a decision, a committed decision, but then it continues with ongoing work. You know, if you bump into me at the hall, in the hall, it's going to be really easy to forgive you. If you back over me with your car and then put it in drive and back over me again, that's going to take a little more work, right? So you need to release, but I'm not talking about for sloppy forgiveness, right? Second thing, remembering. Submission requires us to remember, to remember things like God's faithfulness and love. Submission requires us to remember our identity in Christ. Most of us don't like submission because we think it makes us a second-class citizen, and yet it's because we don't really know who we are in Christ. It would change all of that. It means remembering your spouse's good points and their good intentions, which is really hard to do sometimes. So there's releasing, there's remembering, there's reciprocation. What that means is go back to that circle logic. When you do one thing, they tend to reciprocate with something. And then you reciprocate with something. And so both spouses are called to submit. We'll get to that in a minute. But submission from one spouse makes it easier for the other one to do what they need to do. So don't fuss about who goes first. Just go first. So many times husbands and wives stand on opposite sides of the chasm and say, I'll do this, but you go first. No, I'll do this, but you go first. It's like a couple of kids chunking rocks at one another. Go first. There's a passage of scripture where, where we're told, if your brother has anything against you, go and make it right with him. Then there's another passage that says, if you have something against your brother, go and make it right with him. You know what that means? I always have to go first. That's the rule for marriage. Go first. So, that's the reciprocation piece. And finally, there needs to be some remedial steps. You have to do something. You have to start somewhere. Do something. Start small. Don't expect immediate and big change, but watch for small changes. If you watch carefully, you'll see small changes starting to creep in, even with the smallest of changes that you affect. All right? So, that covers the first thing you need to do to live for your spouse, not just with them. Husbands are to lead like the king by loving their spouse of their own body, by letting go and putting them first. And wives are to submit not like a servant, but like a queen. By doing the things we just talked about, the releasing, the remembering, the reciprocation, the remedial steps. All right, so I'm going to close with this. That's what husbands are responsible for. That's what wives are responsible for. Here's what you both are responsible for. One, you're both responsible to lovingly serve one another. Both husbands and wives are called to that. Philippians 2, 4 through 8 let each of you look not only to his own interest, you've heard this before, but also to the interest of others. That doesn't mean your interests don't count, because it goes back on to verse 5 that says, has this mind in, which is in Christ Jesus, which is in you, but also to the interest of others. So that's what I want you to hear. Let each look not to his own interest, but also the interest of others. So you have to serve one another lovingly. And the second thing that both of you are required to do is to respectfully submit to one another. 
Yeah, guys, I know that that passage says, wives, submit to your husbands. I hear that all the time from husbands in my office. But if you go back just a few verses, it says, submitting to one another. Submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. So we're both called to submit. Again, don't argue about who goes first. Just go first yourself. And here's what, everything we've talked about, here's what it looks like in Christ. Christ submits to God. Which is just like a husband submitting to their wives. I don't mean your husbands are God. Please don't. My wife would correct you on that. Husband, Christ submits to God. That's the same position that wives take. And then Christ submits to the people, which is this position that husbands take. And you see both of those played out in the person of Christ. This is what we're called to. It's not a power struggle. It's not who goes first. It's, it's not who's above the other. This is what we're called to be, like Christ. All right. We should close, but I'll give you a minute for comments. Questions? Comments? All right. I have homework. Dun, 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 dun. I have homework. I have homework for husbands, and I have homework for wives. If you're a wife, do not show your husband your homework. And if you're a husband, do not show your wife your homework. This is for you and for you alone. All right, I'm going to put them up here. I'll put the husbands here. I'll put wives over here. I want you to grab one of these and uh, go home and do homework this week. Let me pray for us. I'll get you out of here. Father, thank you for this time. It's been fun. It's been good. But it's been challenging. I know I put this stuff together, God, but, but you have tromped all over my toes in the process. And I have so far to go in this stuff. And I'm hoping I'm not alone in the room. I'm asking you to use these sessions, again, not to beat up on us or to make us feel bad, just to show us what we need to do. Marriages are hard. They always have been. They always will be. And marriages take time and effort. And I've been married for 42 years and I still need to put in the effort. This is how it is. So help us to kind of all be on the same team here and do what we need to do to create marriages that people on the outside will look and say, hey, I don't know what they've got, but that's what I want. That's who we're supposed to be. And I ask that you would use these sessions to help us be that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. We'll see you next week.